On this week's episode of the Limehouse podcast, we have Isabel Losada. Again, there's this myth, isn't there, that men are just supposed to be able to know everything there is about sex. And even women are very guilty of this. We're very guilty of expecting men to be psychic. So if you're on the mole to Iona Ferry or hitching a ride with a vending machine repairman, enjoy this episode of the Limehouse podcast, your liberal speakeasy. And remember to show some love by recommending us or rating us. Enjoy the show. Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashdown and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. So this week, this is a long time coming, Isabel Losada. So Isabel, she's an award-winning writer of non-fiction and uh, it's autobiographical brilliance, I would say. That's pretty much uh, as, as good as it gets. But if you haven't already, um, it's probably a good idea to check out some of her previous books. They're sort of uh, books of, of exploration, uh, journeys, and uh, to better, it's kind of like to unpack to unpack her, herself and to better understand herself and the world she sort of lives in. And they're very brave um, books, all of them, very brave journeys. And um, I, one of them, one of the books that she she wrote not so long ago, only a few months ago, actually, is uh, it's called Sensation. And I've, I, I read, I, I did the audio book version and absolutely loved it. It's an amazing it's an amazing book. It's so it's so fun. It's it's a really truly warm book and definitely mind opening. And uh, well, it's a sexual journey of, of self discovery. Like I said, she does these uh, really goes out of her way to to go on different journeys. In in this in instance, it's a brave journey and uh, very stimulating, obviously. And um, it's it's the kind of book that you really have um, you you really have you got thinking about things in in different ways. You know how the how things work for a woman, and if you're a man reading it, it's really eye opening. And if you're a woman reading, it's really eye opening for your own body, and how many different ways there are to attain pleasure from from yourself. It's amazing. It, it's it's not like hysterically sexual. It's a kind. It's a kind book, and it's and it's warm, and it comes from a really beautiful place, and it shows us so so much more, so many more wonderful ways of how to be with your partner than you know the stuff you see on TV, which is hysterical. The sex on TV. Isabel was on Russell Brand's podcast talking about how you know how we need to be more compassionate how we need to be more um understanding of each other uh, in terms of sex and 
And I think what I wanted to get to the root of, as well as her book, of course, Sensation, which is now available on audio and um, and physical copy as well. But um, it's also, it's kind of what's happening in schools as well, which was really interesting to me. Really interesting, because let's face it, there's a lot of really awful stuff happening in schools around um, the stuff that kids are watching on YouTube. And I would also say that, that lack of knowledge and, and the importance that we have, um, that we owe ourselves to be more knowledgeable when it comes to stuff between the sheets and, and out, you know, after sex. And we don't do enough of it because we're British, aren't we? We don't talk about it. But, I mean, you don't really want to know about my sexual journey uh, because, well, you don't. It's dull. But anyway, I'm a gardener, for God's sake. I've been in a shrub my entire life. But, yeah. You only live once, I suppose, would be the would be the thing. And I personally loved this book. You know, hearing about desire and a journey to see what the female body is actually capable of producing in terms of pleasure was amazing. And frankly, more men should be interested in this subject. And I think if you read this book as a bloke and, and you're with a partner, you'll be like, oh, crikey, that sounds great. That sounds fun. Let's let's get on that gravy train. Let's do this shizzle. And if you're like I said, if you're if you're a woman, you, you're going to learn so much about your own about your own body and and it's really exciting and it's fun and like i said a warm loving caring book and it comes from a really warm place if you feel like um buying it i would i mean i highly recommend this seriously um you can do it via her website which is isabellosada.com and yeah you can you go on go on your old uh, uh, amazon and uh, and get in, get into your old local waterstones or something like that isn't it but anyway, look, guys, I'm going to say goodbye now, and I hope you're well. And the next time I you you will hear from me will probably be with uh, Vince Cable, because that's what anybody does after talking about sex. They go and see Vince Cable to calm themselves down. Wow. Um, yeah, look, enjoy yourself. And like I said, always say, if you want to rate us, review us, that that's fantastic. Please do. It always goes a long way to help the show. So enjoy enjoy your, in, your week and enjoy this episode. Take care now. Bye-bye. Where does that come from? Where does that des- desire, that sort of passion to find out? Like, where does that come from? Um, good evening, William. Very nice <laughs> to be here. Very nice to be on your podcast and to be included. Yes, I'm thrilled that you've read For Tibet With Love. As you say, for Tibet with love is a little bit up your street because it's about making a difference and it's about making a positive difference in the world to something outside yourself. Um, specifically in that book with relation to the Tibetan cause. Um, all my books, and there's five others, they're all about happiness is the overall subject of all the books in one form or another. And... The first book was about looking, the Battersea Park Road to Enlightenment was about looking at learning everything I could about happiness. And then For Tibet With Love, the one that you and your sister enjoyed, has been about making a difference outside ourselves because obviously service is also part of happiness. Mm. And then I went on exploring happiness and I've always written about this subject from the point of view of the mind, the body, the spirit, or any combination of those. And then what happened with this is someone said to me, well, if you've written about the mind, the body, and the spirit, how come you've never written about sex? And I thought, well, it's a fair challenge. And um, 
also because I'm interested in happiness, obviously at the centre of most people's happiness is their significant other. And at the centre of that relationship is a bed. And at the centre of the, if the cent, what happens in the bed is good, then happiness comes naturally from that relationship and from that closeness and that intimacy. Yeah. If what happens in that bed is not good or is painful or has uh, become separated, then happiness is hard if you're in an intimate relationship with someone where the sex is uh, either not good or non-existent and so it struck me that yes human intimacy and human love and connection is at the very center of human happiness so I thought it was a fair challenge and it was about time I took courage and looked into it yeah so that's how I got launched on this particular project learning about sex and I could never have imagined that it would be as difficult as it has been yeah i mean some of that so um i would have i think i would have reasonably described sensation before the interview started in the pre-interview podcast part of the show um but how would you best describe sensation because i feel like i could but i'd just fuck it up um quite simple really in that it's an exploration into how to make sex into better sex Mm. um and it has and it happens to be about and it happens to do that in a heterosexual context because that's just the group i'm in and in the context of a long-term monogamous relationship because that's the group i'm in so i mean obviously anybody could do this research in any group and i encourage people to do it i mean whatever group you're in Um, please make sex a priority and take my challenge to spend a year working out how you can really deepen and enrich and nourish your sexuality with your significant other for the rest of your life. Um, So that's how I would explain it, a year's um, research into how we make sex into better sex in that context. Yeah. I mean, we were touching on uh, that before we press record, whether or not we'd be in political strife if a little few more people in the political arena had slightly more sexual awareness or I don't know willingness to explore a bit more perhaps well to be fair to the politicians bearing my political podcast yes no but to be fair to the politicians (laughs) I don't think this is uniquely a political problem yeah but I mean I think recent statistics which I don't happen to have at my fingertips but I remember being even I having done this book was shocked reading the statistics of the number of politicians that are watching that have been shown to be watching porn coming out of parliament every day and i think that is indicative of a you know again the battle of the sexes the disrespect between the men and the women i mean even last week we had that incident of boris johnson referring to um oh yeah, yeah. one Bad of balance. the lady members of parliament by her husband's name and rather than i think it was was it emily thornbury i'm not quite i think, I don't it, was remember, emily, I think yeah. it was emily anyway yeah, yeah. she referred he referred to her by her husband's name and was quite rightly challenged by the speaker and told he was being sexist yeah. and he must not do that but i mean i think there is at the very least we could say that there is a lack of appreciation yeah. um, in the political world of members of the opposite sex and anything that is I mean heaven help any woman that would be 
very young or beautiful or sexually attractive i mean i think if if a if a young woman who was very sexually attractive were to go into politics it would be a danger that she wouldn't be taken seriously it's almost oh, yeah. as if one has to be de-sexed in order to be taken uh, seriously for the job rather like obviously with thatcher but had to almost become a man in order mm. to be able to do the job or just the woman in, yeah just like a woman in general i think you know i think particularly when you look at twitter and how many women get MPs, Diane Abbott or Thornbury or um, Myrie Black at the SNP, you know, the abuse they get is unreal. Yes, yes, you yes. Know. And so I think, but I mean, I, I don't think this is unique to politics, but I think it would certainly, I mean, can we imagine the effect on our political lives if even 50% of the of the government had deeply enriched nourishing appreciative loving sex lives and were therefore deeply appreciative of the opposite sex and both desiring their their wives or husbands and Mm. being desired by their wives or husbands and one felt that that intimate life was very much a priority Mm. I think we're safe to assume that it isn't because like in many professions people work so hard that they that they don't make their intimate lives a priority and then they die off and then they end up just reducing themselves to the kind of titillation that's represented by sitting in the houses of parliament and watching porn. Oh yeah 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 I know I mean I, I mean there there is definitely the I suppose I didn't want to segue too quickly onto YouTube and porn because I know you talk about it a bit in Sensation but I mean in terms of kids um, of our younger generation now are sort of getting that idea in their head that the only form the only way of you know sex between two people is to do it porno style I mean that is just like it's a bit heartbreaking I was thinking on the way over here if it was in the did we didn't really necessarily have the um, what I'm 36 didn't have you know I wouldn't know about the 1970s, so I'm just guessing. But it was like Playboy, obviously other, you know, um, magazines or what have you. But there wasn't that sort of absolute, unbelievable, at-your-fingertips availability for pornography and such really intense pornography as well. Yes, I I mean, I haven't seen any of the more violent pornography that I believe is, is, is prolific now. But working on this book, I've heard some terrible stories. I mean, I've heard stories about men putting their hands around a woman's neck in order to cut her wind passage, thinking that that's what she wants, because mm. that's what they've seen on porn, and and associating, just thinking that violence is part of sex, and that, that yes, it's, it's, it's very frightening. But even in a healthier sexual relationship than that, though, just with a, with a broader generalisation, I think there's this feeling that sex has to be red-hot. It has to match that red-hot description and, you know, when a couple first get together, their sex might be very red hot or it might fit that description. And then obviously by the time they've maybe got married and had 2.5 children and they're both working very hard and doing a full time job and they've got two kids under six. And of course, they're getting into bed at night and the main thing they want is to go to sleep, understandably. Yeah, yeah. But then what happens is the baby often goes out with a bathwater and they end up, because their sex isn't red hot anymore, they don't really know 
how to sustain a different kind of sex life that's more nourishing and that's so that's what I explore a lot in the book sensation is all the other flavors of sexuality that we can enjoy and all the other colors that are not necessarily red I mean that doesn't mean that I'm against red hot sex of course but what I am against is climax chasing sex because I think that just puts too much pressure on both lovers if they're thinking, you know, the man is under pressure to get this woman to go off like a firework and the woman is under pressure to go off like a firework and, and it just becomes a pressurised situation instead of a loving, nourishing, yeah. stroking. You know, we need to bring back the phrase making love. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. You know, we yeah. need to... Enough... Because n- not many people are having sex anyway. Um, one of the publishers actually asked me to write a book called Why Is No One Having Sex Anymore? Yeah. And I refused because I think some people are... But I think there's more having sex than there is making love going on. Yeah, yeah. Because of that particular model, that particular red-hot model of sex that is then made even worse through porn. Where do you think that comes from? I mean, can we blame it? I mean, it's it's not so sex in in a compassionate or slightly more experimental way isn't taught in schools i mean i was thinking that this the the, the stuff that you've done uh, is it um om, oming right mm-hmm. in your books so that's clitoral stimulation yeah and that was like absolutely i i mean I, I i so i'm i love dear sugar and those kind of podcasts you know that are sort of more um female focused or you know um yeah female focused and I love them because it's insight and it's also gentle and, mm. and there's compassion and love there. Mm. And what I suppose, and you, you touched on a book towards the end of the book, you start talking more about, um, it's, it's, a guru, it's not necessarily a guru, guru you're talking to. But someone, the tantric master that I was talking to. Yeah. Yes. And he talks about, you know, it's love, man. Yes. Well, it's all about love. It, yeah. it, it's all about love. Ideally, it's all about love. Mm. Um Yes, sorry, I forgot your question, William. Well, I, I didn't really pose a question. I thought I've ended up just sort of saying it's all about love, <laughs> which I suppose it is. But that's kind of, I think, I guess what I was driving at was, is it's, 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 it's encouraging, not encouraging, yeah, it's encouraging, it's warming, heartening to know that essentially, you know, all those 80s movies that I grew up on that just got me addicted to the idea of being in love, never about sex. Sex scared the shit out of me, you know. But the foundation is that you want love and the rest will follow. Cause I you're... think one of, the, one of the really interesting descriptions that the tantric, uh, male tantric teacher gives in Sensation is that one of the ways you know whether you've had good sex or not is how you feel the following day. And yeah, I think this is really yeah. interesting. And mm. if you feel the following day that you feel seen and understood and cherished and nourished and appreciated and loved, then that was good sex. You know, if you feel, sorry to be crude, but if you feel like you've been fucked, yeah. then it's probably not good sex. You yeah. know, it's just what he calls, you know, irritating the nerve. I mean, yeah. and that kind of just, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, sex mm-hmm. is the kind of sex that encourages um, a communication that lacks authenticity between yeah. the couple, even if they love each other, because the woman can be frightened to admit that she's not really 
experiencing the levels of pleasure in her body that society requires her to be experiencing. Right, yeah. And then she doesn't want to admit that to the man because she doesn't want to make the man feel like a failure. And so she's not communicating in an authentic way to him, which leaves the man completely lost because he's got no genuine feedback. And so then he's lost as well. Yeah. And so then he's trying to make love to a woman who's not really explaining to the man what she's what she's feeling because she's worried about upsetting him and he's worried that he's failing and then that and so you get into this dreadful where, vicious circle where's that where's that coming from then where where from your from your research or your just even how your life experience where does that come from well it, it comes from a simple insecurity i mean imagine that imagine i mean totally apart from the you know the quick wham bam thank you man sex i mean imagine that i mean people do continue to get married you'll notice i mean why goodness knows i notice you have a ring on your finger so you're one of them <laughs> so people go through and they and they make this promise that they're going to be with one person for the rest of their life sexually and nobody explains or thinks about how on earth they're going to maintain that sexual interest for the next 50 years that conversation is never had so so there you are with your newlywed and someone that you really love and someone that you really want it to work with and of course you want to let them know that the sex is going to be good it's going to be so good it's going to sustain you for the next 30 years so so it's very hard in that situation for you know for someone to say actually for a woman, for example, to say, when we start the penetrative part of what we're doing, the sensation levels in my body go down, by the way, not up. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's very hard to, but, but, for a woman to say something like that. But don't, I think what I was trying to get to earlier when I started talking about Dear Sugar podcast was, was basically the conversation is so yes. liberating. When I tune into those podcasts, I'm like, fuck me, man. Like, people are just talking in such a hum- humane, normal way. Fuck, they're yes. talking about, they're talking about being gay. They're talking about being sexually experimental they're talking about experience that they've had i feel more human yes, well, more in touch we're here you know? in this podcast william so we can do that here <laughs> yeah you I don't just... have to advertise them but i suppose what i found with your book was just how in in i don't know if the word endearing is patronizing or not but fuck it but no, um, i hope not but the um the journey the decision to go that you went on was amazing but with your partner as well t who's mm. un unbelievable you know and then you talk about some blokes that are very possessive i love my i love my wife i love my girlfriend but oh fucking hell, i'm very you know i wouldn't let her do anything like that you know why yeah. i put on the you know that voice That's- well the nice thing about my partner in this is that he we decided to go on this journey together of spending a year exploring sexuality and because he likes sex he's a you know he's just a healthy heterosexual male he was very into it. I mean, the joke is at the beginning of the book, of course, he thought he already knew everything like most men. And by the end of the book, he's, you know, he's got the humility to say, well, all right, now I know a little less. Right, yeah. Because by the end of the book, we both know what it is that we know so little about. Yeah. Um, but that's what but I it's usually the well. women. It's usually the women that, I mean, like a couple's workshop, with a couple's workshops, it's almost always the woman that's dragged the man to the workshop rather than the other way around. Yeah. Because, again, there's this myth, isn't there, that men are just supposed to be able to know everything there is about sex. And even women are very guilty of this. We're very guilty of expecting men to be psychic. We just expect men to know how to be able to please us in bed without us either having to know ourselves or be able to communicate it. And then we resent them if they're not psychic and able to be able to, be able to please us. Yeah. So we, we are guilty of that. That is so true. Like, I mean... Um definitely from my experience i would say that's that's so true i and i i think that it 
it's almost like two beings coming together and just like you know throwing the dice and going okay maybe it's going to be good tonight who knows I don't know how to make it better um, and that is what is that education I mean I know like my parents gave my, my two sisters a book on sex a fucking book they didn't no conversation bless them bless them indeed and then my dad took me on a walk um, when I was about 13, 14 and I knew exactly what was coming and I just <laughs> shit, I shit myself I was like getting the fuck out of here and then at school it was sex was taught through animals in biology see, yes, this, see yes. this lion yes, but, you know. but, but rather than looking at what's gone wrong with the system let's discuss what we can do right Yeah, and what funny. we can do right is you know read sensation and then after that, I mean, it, what, Sensation is a book that can be used for opening up the conversation. I'm happy to say it's been read by lots of men because it is about making love to women. So lots of straight men have read it of all ages. I had this wonderful moving letter from a young man of 23 who was in the military who had heard me on a different podcast, actually, and had gone away and read the book and wrote me this letter saying he'd never had sex with a woman, but he'd like to thank me on behalf of all his future girlfriend and his future wife. <laughs> and I thought, well, thank God there's one man out there that actually has a bit better understanding. He's not just learning from porn. Yeah. Um, and then, and then you know, having read that, then read all the rest of the books that I mentioned in the book list at the back of the book, you know, and really learn. Because, I mean, one of the things I did in the, when I was doing the research for this book is I, I'd put out requests on social media. When was the last time, you know, have you read books on sex? What was the last book you read on sex? Mm. And people don't. People don't, don't read it's amazing what no it's amazing what people haven't read and studied especially when you think it's such an important aspect to I mean like the Guardian said of sensation you know what better investment could there be in a relationship than to really take the sexuality seriously Mm. and to study and learn I mean you know some women for example have more nerve endings around the clitoris some have more nerve endings around the vulva some have more around the perineum some have more around the anus you know some women have a more pronounced G-spot, some women don't. You know, these are things that men need to learn about their partners and they need to understand and the woman needs to understand and they need to be able to have communication about these things because evidently it doesn't come naturally. You know, I mean, maybe for one lucky couple in a 100, they just happen to fit together in a very good way. But even then, what happens with couples is that they find one thing that works... And so they keep doing that thing that works. And then inevitably that leads to boredom. I mean, yeah. you know, if you go to an Indian restaurant and you find a nice vindaloo that blows your head off, you don't want to go back every single time you go to that restaurant and ask for the same dish. Because what about yeah. all the other range of dishes that are available? What yeah. about all the other colours of the rainbow? Yeah. We know apart from red, you know, and if you if you just eat the same dish, you're just three times a week, you're going to get bored, aren't right. you? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I was talking, there's a... There's a section in the book that you might remember where um, my partner takes, not at my instigation, but at, at, he, he heard about this exercise where the man goes for 30 days without ejaculating. And um, he took that challenge on, <clears throat> much to my amazement. And that's not ejaculating when making love or when masturbating or on his own or in any context. And first of all, I think he was very pleased with himself. I mean, I get messages going, day 14, I think this is a record since puberty already. Um, (laughs) But then when we were making love during that time, it, it, you know, it, 
it was it really enabled him to to tune in and focus on the sensation in his body and the sensation in my body in a whole different way so as a a male friend of mine was saying yesterday even if a man sometimes during sex decides right we're going to make love tonight but i'm not going to ejaculate then that that pure act on its own then enables him to to tune much more into the woman and to give her more of his attention and and not forcing her to not being focused on trying to give her an attack you know an orgasm either but just focusing instead and deepening and enriching the sensation in both bodies you can make love like that for an hour and just have a wonderful enjoyable deeply satisfying sensuous you know, ride before falling asleep. You yeah. know, it doesn't have to be this pressure, pressure, pressure to be red hot all the time. That's yeah. what kills so many couples' sex yeah. lives. Well, I don't know where that... But your your book is definitely open mind to the more spiritual side of it as well. I mean, was it... A- well, noticing who you're making love to. I mean, I've been doing these. I've been doing these talks, and I get these questions. I got this question last week that really made me sad, from a man because I don't know which member of the audience it was, but it said M for man, and he was saying, "Is it okay to think about, you know, one woman to get yourself excited if you're just about to make love to another one?" And I'm like, "No, it's really not." You know, let's celebrate the person that's right in front of us. Let's Jeez. love her. Let's learn got, what's special about her. That's got to be hap- that's got to be happening a lot. I mean, in right, that's, of course, yeah. because we're not really we, we live in a society. I mean, to get back to the politics. I mean, yes, I do blame capitalism. You know, this this desire for more, more, more. We've got to have more. We've got to be acquisitive. We've got to get results. We've got to we've got to be successful. So there's such a thing as succeeding in bed. I mean, that's the beginning of the nonsense. You know, how can you succeed? I mean, it's, it's so, yes. So I'd, I'd high-five you then if I didn't have a cup of tea and a recording device on my lap. Yes. But, but that's so, I so feel that point, yeah. And whereas... Even if you go, even politically, if you go to sharing, if you go to equality, if you go to caring about other people around you, about, you know, empathy, compassion, you know, one can bring these different political viewpoints into a sexual relationship directly. I mean, it's not all about me, frankly. Yeah. You know, it's about supporting others yeah. and about understanding and learning and and being responsible and yes i think do you know what if i if, think religion's pretty fucking good at, at shaming anybody with any sexual desire i tried to think of a religion that didn't sort of like come down on you like a ton of bricks if you went outside of shagging for the sake of having kids it's kind of hard not to really find a religion that doesn't sort of you know persecute you almost shame on you for having sex i'm mainly looking at the catholic church i think you know, I just the Catholic Church doesn't have the monopoly on not really celebrating sexuality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I just um, watched Philomena, so I was right. Re- you know, I was yes, like, they'll, they'll do. <laughs> Judaism doesn't really celebrate it outside the family either. No, no. Um, Islam doesn't really celebrate uh, an open and free celebration of sexuality. Um, many Hindu traditions don't really celebrate it either. Buddhism, you know, if we think of the world's leading spiritual teachers, many of them are celibate. Really, the the tantric tradition, which is a tradition that that weaves through some Buddhism and some Hinduism, is really the only area um, in which it's in which it's celebrated. Although, you know, there is a 
there is a deeply spiritual sexual thread in contemplative Christianity, but it got thrown out of the Second Vatican Council by the Confessions of St. Augustine, but that's probably more information than you need. Really. Wow, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that the Christian God, according to Christians, mm. um, did create, uh, you know, sex and for pleasure. I mean, we do have body, we do have, you know, nerve endings all over our bodies that yeah. give us pleasure and it's part of life. And I mean, I often get this every day. Uh, today I got an interview, I, I got a, a request, you know, uh, they were suggesting me for an interview for a certain organisation and they said... Um, but, you know, they do mainly like to do spiritual stuff. So, you know, and I said, excuse me, can you tell me what there is about sex that isn't spiritual? I mean, if someone is truly spiritual, then everything is spiritual. I mean, Drinking yeah. water is spiritual, going for a walk is spiritual, breathing, waking up, going to bed. And what could be, you know, what is more spiritual than making love to the person that you're with yeah. in an act that creates life itself? I mean, if that's not spiritual, then I've obviously been reading the wrong books. No, absolutely. Understanding and, the wrong kind of spirituality. And when you're climaxing, you're saying God. So, you know, mainly, <laughs> you know, at least from my experience, oh God, you know, maybe that was a, that's a chip implanted in our brains already by, by the man upstairs, you know. Um, but yeah, no, what I, I, I suppose... Well, if it's a habit, don't say that. Yeah, D- just do something different. But what I was going to say, cheese. You, you were speaking about. You were speaking about. Um, no, just breathe and feel it, and look in the yeah. eyes of the person that you're with, and be mindful of the moment. But when you were talking about shame just then, I, I just wanted to say that there's. I got a an email this morning about a lady. She left her book, like she left her copy of Sensation lying around, and her. 11-year-old girl daughter had picked it up because she knew it was something her mother was reading and gone away and, you know, was reading it. And um, then came to her mother and said, you know, mummy, what's a clitoris and what's stroking clitoris? And, you know, and the mother kind of panicked for a moment and and didn't know what to say and then thought, no, come on, you know, mother, grow up. And sat down and had an intelligent conversation with her daughter about the whole thing. So, but, you know, obviously that's rare. But I'm looking, why am I, am I different? I'm really looking forward to like talking to my son or daughter about shit like this really openly and going, hey, look, this is your vagina, your clitoris, your penis. This is, this is going to be good. This is going to be bad. This is what you should aim for. Sex shouldn't be about this. Can I just remind you, William, one second ago, you were saying that when your father attempted to have that conversation with you, I clammed up. No, you wanted to run the other way. You wanted to bolt. Yeah. So I think you'll find that when your child is a teenager, that will be the last thing that they will want to discuss with you. Yeah. In my little heaven brain, though, in my little heaven brain, I'm like, my kid is going to like completely connect with me. It's going to be perfect. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be the case. They'll probably challenge you in some ways that you're not quite expecting, yeah. but don't worry. First of all, they're baby and they're very cute, and you only yeah. have to love them one day at a time. So, well, if, if they if they they're like not stay... born a teenager, so you're all right. That is true. That is true. That's what I'm hoping anyway. God, but no, the shame factor is um interesting because, and I don't really have a question that could really cut to the point. Um, so I'm sort of circumnavigating it a bit, but that that shame factor leads to so many other problems down the line um and does lead i, I mean in i suppose the conversation you have with a, with your cabbie in in the book about you talk to him about clitorises and he's like well, fucking hell what are you talking about love mm. you know um it can lead to these like like massive potholes in relationships because you start talking about 
you know, say, you know, a, a woman of 50, 60 picks up your book and goes, oh, this clitoral thing, I've talked to my husband about it. She'd feel ashamed, wouldn't she? Do you think there's a sense of shame? Whether, maybe it's not even age. Hell, you know, it could be an 18-year-old girl and go, oh, I've got a background that wouldn't allow me to do that, you know. They could spend their whole life in that kind of prison of shame. It's interesting. I don't think we can generalise. I mean, I think we'd have to ask... Is there a generic feeling of shame around sexuality and is it greater or less great in different situations? I mean, I was in the church for many years. I'm an atheist now, but I was in the church for many years and there, and, and I know some people in the church that literally never had sex before they were married and then got married and have been with their partner ever since. I mean, this does exist. And in that situation... There is no shame around sexuality because it's considered, you know, that's in a good sense, in a good faith sense. It's something that's given and it's God-given and it's beautiful and it produces babies. And um, so I don't think a feeling of shame around sexuality is universal. I think maybe as a man, I have a question. Do you think that the feeling of shame around sexuality in a man's 20s and early 30s, if he's basically you know having sex with everybody he wants to have sex with do you think there's a feeling of shame there that comes from knowing that he's not really treating the women well that he's going out there and you know Mm. having sex for his own gratification rather than out of love or respect of the woman that he's sleeping with or a woman doing the same yeah i mean what is your feeling about the source of of the shame of which you speak I don't know whether, I mean, I don't know if, I mean, if someone is, if a man and a woman are in a loving relationship with each other, yeah, I don't think there needs to be shame around sexuality at all. And I don't think there universally is. Mm. I mean, I think some couples have a good sex life. They're together. You know, they, it might be good or less good depending on how their how their lives are going and what they're worried and how the stress yeah. levels are but I mean I think I think there are people out there a bit like when I say I was asked to write this book called why is no one having sex anymore I wouldn't because I think there are there are people out there having good sex lives but I think they're in the minority yeah. so all I'm saying is I think shame is optional and yeah. I think if if you or any other listener <coughs> male or female I mean I think if you feel ashamed around sexuality then you know in a in a very light way, I think it would be interesting to uh, consider where that comes from and whether it's still necessary, not in order to blame anyone in one's upbringing, in, in your upbringing, but just to think, well, well, why do I feel ashamed if I've got a healthy sex drive? And um, funnily enough, I had an Airbnb guest here recently. He was a young man from America and he was, he'd recently been broken hearted over a man and he was asking me if I, think, if I thought lust was wrong. I think he was from a... Uh, Republican area of America and I said to him no you're young you're male you have a healthy sex drive yeah you know there is nothing to be ashamed of about feeling a desire if you see an attractive woman that's not lust that's having a yeah. healthy sex drive right yeah you know so I mean I suppose yeah so I think shame is optional yeah I think I, I mean I, I did want to try and talk to you a little bit about um the Me Too movement and Harvey Weinstein and what have you. Mm. Um, I mean, when that first broke, that whole, that obviously, for, for me anyway, I was like, yeah, duh. Not necessarily Weinstein, but a guy in Hollywood with that level of power. It's like, 
right it's out there how's this going to go down how's this going to how's this going to um, change anything where what's your what was your reaction to the Harvey Weinstein when it first broke well in many ways it's an old story you know men using their their power and their position um, and exploiting the ambition of beautiful young women to move on in their careers and I think it's a it's a very good thing that it's broken and I hope that you know men will have pause before they you know a greater pause before they use that power over any young female employees Mm. and I think it's very good for female empowerment on the other hand on the negative side it's an empowerment a female empowerment that is against men and I think that's a shame because I think there will be yet more you know divide between men and women and what I'm interested in is I'm interested in in happiness and I'm interested in love and I'm interested in connection and I mean it 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 has reached the stage now where I mean I smiled at a man on the bus the other day and he apologized and I said why are you apologizing he said oh I thought I'd knocked you or touched you or something and I said no no I was I said I was actually just thinking, what an attractive man! But he, <laughs> but he was frightened that yeah. he'd that he'd offended me in some way, just yeah. because I, he saw me looking at him. And I think you know when we get that level of fear between the sexes, it's it doesn't help the the current sexual situation. So I think you know where it's about the exploitation of of power. Uh, and the aggressive use of power, then obviously it, it, it can't be allowed to continue. But I think my own position is is to um, celebrate connection and bringing the sexes together and and in fact I prefer when I was doing the tantric work I actually prefer the couples workshops to the women only workshops because I I find the presence of men reassuring I think we're all learning together men and women are learning together how to how that you know heterosexual men and women are learning together how to how to please each other and how to listen to each other and um you know, I like men. I'm I'm straight. So, yeah. um, so I think the me Too, the Me Too movement is extremely important, um, and I hope it doesn't lead in any way to further division between us. No, I think love will see us through. I think that's a, that's a lyric, isn't it? Probably. I've totally stolen that's fine. that. Love <laughs> will see us through. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, I just. Before before I forget, um, what because there are so many experiences that you and T go through, and you obviously you on your own um, different workshops you go to in the in, in sensation in the book that you write about, and you really put yourself out there, like you know you you're not like, I think the presumption is that oh you've written this book about sex therefore you must be some really uber confident sex you know guru whatever yes no the opposite is, yeah, yeah, the opposite the, was true that yeah. uh, um. I was someone, I I was brought up in an all-female family by my mother and my grandmother. I was at a ballet school and I was in the Girl Guides in the evenings. So, as I say, you know, by the time I was 19, I'd, I'd once seen a, a diagram of a penis in a biology class, but <laughs> I'd never actually spoken to anyone who owned yeah. one because there were just no men in my life. Yeah. And then I got married. To I, Then I, I started dating the man 
who then became my husband. And so I was absolutely, I had no sexual experience at all. And um, when I, and obviously that then my marriage ended and then I started to explore things a bit more. But um, nevertheless, I'm not someone, I'm not a woman that's ever been able to go out to a bar and see an attractive man across the room and take him home and have sex with him. And, and personally, far from me being in judgment against women that are able to do that, I'm like, yeah, go sister. Because in order to be that sexually confident, you're able to just pick up a man and take him home with you and have sex with him. I mean, you know, I celebrate that level of sexual confidence, but yeah. certainly I'm nowhere near it. Yeah. No, and um, and so I represent a far more um, inhibited uh, start um, in the book, um, and and in, and indeed I get shot down by some people in the in the sex world because my book is so what they call vanilla. You know, it's just about vanilla sex is is sex where you just have sex between two people that are fond of each other. Yeah, but it's I far from that. Jeez, well, your, no. book, your book is way it's like really fantastic it's not like you know oh my god sensationalist it, it's no, just no no but in, yeah. in 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 terms of the the wording out there it's all mm. vanilla because i'm not doing anything there's no bells there's no whips there's no couples there's no groups there's no uh, swapping there's nothing that is there's no what they call kink there's there's nothing in there that is in any way that that can't be achieved between Two people that are fond of each other. Sex yeah. that's just between two people that are fond of each other is called vanilla sex. Oh, I see. When there's no bells and yeah, whistles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's a, it's a very heartfelt book, I think. It's coming from a... I think that's why I connect with it. It's because it's coming from a really just a normal place. Obviously, someone who's willing to experiment and really, you know take on something that's completely different not necessarily it is outside your comfort zone right? oh I was outside my comfort yeah. zone all the way yeah. through the book every single time I mean Can right you give the an way example? well yes right the way from the beginning of the women's workshop I mean any woman that's listening to this to this podcast I mean if you decide if you take my challenge men and women listening which is to take a year and really use it to enrich and deepen your sex life and really make it a priority um, if you take that challenge and you're a woman and you decide to go on a women's workshop, inevitably getting your kit off in front of other women, other women is going to be a basic requirement. Yeah. And, you know, for any woman standing naked in front of other women and talking about how she feels about her body, it's challenging. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, the higher levels you get to how women feel about their genitals and the women have got very mixed and ambivalent feelings about their genitals. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that, actually. Um, uh, corrective surgery and what have you, because you do talk about that um, in reasonable depth in the book. And it's very it's very handy to talk about that because um, obviously plastic surgery on... on I don't body. think I would agree with you the word corrective surgery. Okay. Uh, uh, um, the, the term is labiaplasty. Okay, yeah. And the reason that the reason that happens is because women at puberty often the the inner lips that a woman's vulva has inner lips and outer lips, and in some women the inner lips protrude. Sometimes they protrude quite a lot, and in sometimes they don't protrude at all. And in the women where it doesn't protrude at all, you get a very clean, neat look. And those are the women that are employed by the porn magazines because it's just it's it's simpler and 
men don't like complexity in their women. They like their women to they they try to like their women to be understood to be to be easily understood. Yeah, so so men so the porn magazines employ those particular women, and young women who are reaching puberty see those porn magazines, and so they think that having these lips that protrude is not normal. Mm. Whereas actually, ninety eight percent of women have protruding inner lips but they don't know that and so because women never see other women's vulvas and clitorises or clitori whichever the correct word is um, a lot of women then are going out and having unnecessary labiaplasty which is the removal of the inner lips because they think that there's something abnormal about them and there isn't so it's yet another horrifying myth and for anyone that's listening has an instagram account there's an account called the vulva gallery i think it's just vulva.gallery and there's a woman there that has a painting every day sent to her um, of a woman who sent in a paint a, a, a photograph of herself and she makes paintings out of the photographs and so every day there's a different vulva that's that's shown and even having done this book I mean when I first used to look at these pictures I used to think oh that's a bit gross and then I was really questioning where did that idea that this was gross come from yeah. but gradually as I've gone on looking at them I really begun to see the beauty and the vulnerability in these pictures and now I look at them and I go that's beautiful that's really vulnerable and, and I've had a whole change of perspective perspective on on that but but um any women that are listening our our vulvas uh, the inner lips and the outer lips are as diverse as as women's you know as our faces they're they're all surprisingly universally different and nobody would have facial surgery because they didn't look like someone else yeah um and um yes it's it's yet another myth along with everything else yeah. that we've all got to be chopped and clipped and you know yeah I, I mean that's the capitalism thing we're going back to that you mentioned earlier I suppose you know that sort of the need to fit in and it's and it's sort of gone not just you know plastic surgery is correct your, your bit of your face or whatever nose job etc it's now gone it's just works its way down and it's just become more and more uh, is it more acceptable to have that done now it's more like it's more seen as a oh yeah I've had that done I've had you know I think I think doctors who one would have to say are almost always male I don't mean to be anti-male but the surgeons are almost always male they justify it in terms of the woman not feeling comfortable with herself oh, I see, okay. and so in order to make her feel comfortable with herself they snip off her bits yeah and they make lots of money doing it you know? what, what about the case for maybe em- empowerment that some women might get from that yes that's I know but we have to question that source of empowerment that's the same as a woman feeling empowered because she's been out and got larger breasts Mm. or she's been out and you know got god knows what else she might get Mm. you know empowerment as you know as Buddha would say empowerment like enlightenment is change comes from within yeah you know because you could go off and have all your bits corrected and still if you've not if you're not doing the the sexual work that sensation is about but hopefully it's a bit funnier that's a bit more humor in the in the in the book than we're having in this interview but um because it's a serious subject so in the mm. book I you know I, I do I, I write a humorous book but it's a serious subject so often when I talk about it with people like this it does end up being more serious than it is in the book but um there is a journey 
that can be gone on all the way from feeling okay. I mean, as I say, step one, a woman learning how to feel okay in her birthday suit, just standing up. You know, why shouldn't we be able to run around and enjoy being naked like we did when we were with kids? We'd run around outside and point at each other's bits and laugh and run around in the woods and, and you know, not mind if <laughs> this woman has yeah. got long dangly bits and this yeah. one doesn't have any dangly bits and this one's got huge boobies and yeah. this one's got and this one's flat chested and who I, cares? Hey, look, I like to air myself after a shower. Yeah, I like, exactly. You know, five minutes of the old naked time. Yes, exactly. Well, I, I think that's more of a sort of I've got a, a tendency to get uh, eczema, so I like to make sure I'm fully dry and then I moisturise. Well, that's more information than we need, William. But I would celebrate you walking around naked, Great. and I'd celebrate you know your 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 lovely wife walking around naked, and you know and and please continue to do that as your children are growing up, so they don't grow up with body shame. Yeah, I remember seeing a, a, a friend of the family. We were all staying in like a, you know a, a family villa in France or something, and um, that his kids were around, and he walked in naked, and I was there. I was like, "Oh my god, it's a naked man! That's pubic hair! I've heard about that. That's yes. dangerous." Yes. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know. Don't know why I put on that voice. You know, that was like, <laughs> well, cause "What was is, that?" It, it. I don't know. It. Well, it, it's. Can I do your next audio book? No, it, it. It represents the level of shock yeah, that okay, one that one go. feels at the sight yeah. of a naked man. One yeah. has to, you know, yeah. go into that cartoon voice because it's just so completely shocking. But, but it and and but to take a more serious aspect of this, I mean, particularly because women are worse at this than than men is that you know i feel sorry for a man who wants to look at the woman he loves and go you're gorgeous and look at her and see her naked and she ought to be able to enjoy that that glance that look that stare without thinking oh but i've got some fat on my hips and i've got some cellulite around here and you know my tummy's putting on weight and blah 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 you know a woman ideally ought to be able to enjoy her lover's enjoyment of her without herself wanting to contradict him and say oh but how can you say you love me when i've got this cellulite on my hips i mean fuck that for a lark oh yeah absolutely you know we ought to be able to enjoy each other but again we're back to capitalism and we're back to selling things and selling products and you know let's produce a magazine that convinces women that they don't look the way they ought to look so that we can sell them a product that makes them feel better blah 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 it's never going to change though is it well it's not we can't change the whole of society but we can change ourselves can't we yeah like one i suppose that you know what would be be a good step say like uh what because you said like you know someone could be encouraged to do the year uh, a journey that you took what's like a a smaller in whatever in whatever way well well read the book read sensation and then read a couple of the other books and then talk about it I mean with your partner I mean there was one I got a wonderful letter from this elderly couple in their 60s and they were taking turns reading the book out to each other in bed at night and then talking about it yeah I mean that's just beautiful because they didn't have to work out I mean I've had a couple of letters from men and women saying I'd really like to do this but mm. you know I don't know how to approach the subject with my partner that's both men having problems with women and women having problems with men both ways and I think the way they did it which was to read the book alternatively and then discuss how they felt about the various subjects that I was raising is a really effective way of doing it mm. and um you know do it now because we're going to be dead really soon. 
Yeah. In the blink of an eye, we're going to be on our deathbed. I know. So there's no time like the present to celebrate the fact. I mean, we're going to know pain, listeners. Our bodies are going to give us, as we get older, we're going to have plenty of pain in our bodies. So, But the bodies are designed for pleasure. And the reason we have to have pain is because we've got nerve endings that are designed for pleasure. But what happens is we skip the pleasure and we go right onto the pain. But the pain is the price we pay for having nerve endings and the nerve endings are there to make us feel good. So let's explore the pleasure um, while we still have breath. And that's all we need is skin and breath. If we're still alive, there's no age limit to this process. On the contrary, you know, people in their 70s can still have love and intimacy 80s 90s well yeah there was that 80 year old or 70 year old woman rather that was at a convention in america you went to um or a workshop, oh yes yes and she yes. came out and said oh, i feel amazing yes yeah. I, I she said i never knew the body could experience this much pleasure that's right. right um of course as long as we have skin and breath we're still able to have sensation in the body deep sensation in the body um if we can just get rid of this obsession with chasing this red hot climactic experience that you know involves lots of shouting and throwing thrashing around and saying oh god oh god yes yes and all that drama that we've seen on tv that is not representative of what's happening in most people's bedrooms yeah okay i mean we're we're kind of near the hour mark okay but i did i did want to ask you um obviously you took one hell of another journey to 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 meet the Dalai Lama and <laughs> yes. and help bring awareness to Tibet and free Tibet. Yes. Um what what's the Dalai Lama like? <laughs> good guy? Good. He's got to be good. It's so right? funny, William. Nice bloke. You you're interviewing me about sensation I know. suddenly you leap back three books. Oh, you should you should hear some of my interviews like. with people. It's insane. Okay, I'll tell you a story about the about my meeting with the Dalai Lama. So my book was about knowing how we can make a change in the world no matter what the no matter what it is it was the question was what can one person do to make a difference in the world and in order to do that i used the structure of the old serenity prayer which as you might might know is we need to have the serenity to accept what we can't change the courage to change the things we can and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, I love that one. That's yeah. what we need. If you try to make a change in the world, no matter what it is, you're going to hit those three things. So I finally get to my interview with the Dalai Lama, write it into the book, and I've got this question for him that's about that. Um, but when he comes in, I'm so overawed by the by the the presence of the man. He's got this phenomenal presence, and he's so powerful in his energy that I kind of I open my mouth, and as you can hear, I can be quite articulate. And I sort of said, "Well, Your Holiness, uh, uh, Your <laughs> Highness, uh, your, your Holiness." So uh, I've been writing this book, um, uh, and it's about um, making a change. No, making a difference. Um, no, exploring <laughs> what change we can make. No, what. What difference one person can make and and in the world that is to to make a difference and uh, and i was using the uh, there's a christian prayer about serenity and uh, and obviously his translator is looking at me with some confusion at this point <laughs> yeah. and, and and i needed to know um how we have the serenity to accept what we're not able to change um uh, and the um courage with the, the courage to change what we can 
and change and and uh, and how <laughs> how uh, your holiness as i know that you, you are the incarnation of, of wisdom how can we begin to to have the wisdom to know the difference between what we can change and what we can't change i finally get to the end of this and the dalai lama looks at me and he says experiment oh really okay so there is the difference between a lucid mind and a not lucid mind. <laughs> and the way that you know the difference between what you're able to change in the world and what you're not able to change in the world is experiment and then you find out. Yeah, yeah, having the balls to do something about Yeah, it, well, right? the nice thing about the prayer is it doesn't say courage to change the things if I can. It says courage to change the things I can. Yeah. So there's an assumption within it that we can change some things. Yeah. Be the change you want to be. Be the change you want to see, William. Is it? Yes. Okay. Be the change you wish to see in the world. <laughs> I should know That's the ser- Gandhi. Yeah. Okay. I should. I should. I should know. The, I should know the Serenity um, Prayer off by heart. But I, it's so easy, and it's it's something that you should. Jeez. It you helps. Should the Serenity that. Prayer helps us to stay sane. Yeah. Because if we open the newspapers, I mean, and the trouble is with social media, is we're forever having things put in front of us that are not things that we can do something about. So it's like, why am I being given this piece of information about the destruction of this particular animal species in this particular part of the world? Because that's not something that I personally can do something about. And so you have to look at it and go, that's terrible, but that's not something. And and I personally, I only post things if there's something that an individual, because I do believe in individual change. And I'm a huge plastic campaigner and a huge, we all have to be environmentalists now. Everybody has to be an environmentalist. We can't leave it for other people to save the planet. We each, every single one of us, we have to save the planet. But but these are things that we are able to do. Mm. So, and we are able to have a good intimate life. We are able to learn about sexuality. And the reason we need to learn about sexuality is it's not a selfish pursuit. It's so that if we have a happy and nourishing intimate life, then we will have the energy and the capacity to go and save the planet, which is what we need to do, why we need to have a good sex life, because we've got to save the planet. That's a beautiful note to end on, I think, don't you? There you go. Yeah, okay. See you guys, and uh, Isabel, do you want to say goodbye? <laughs> Hello, ever listeners to William's podcast. It's been really lovely talking to you, and bye-bye, and may your sex life be rich and wonderful and full of love. <laughs>